Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we have Rick French of Alaska Alpine Outfitters on the phone. Rick, how you doing? I'm great, Jay. How are you? Good. The last time I think we talked, you had a late season Arizona elk tag, a rifle tag, uh, up and I believe unit 23 and uh, you were able to uh, harvest a nice bull and and uh, you had a pretty good time on that hunt. I remember you pounded it pretty hard. Uh, how have things been going since then? Man, they've been going well. Uh, no worries, no complaints. Got well, business is going good. Regular jobs going good, and and in between there, I'm I'm getting some hunts in for myself as well. That's awesome. Um, you know. There, you guys put out a DVD, uh, Black Shale White Sheep, uh, and I remember four or five years ago getting that, or uh, three, four, five years ago, I don't remember exactly, getting that DVD, and for someone that hasn't hunted doll sheep, that was just an awesome video. Um, have you done any videos since, or was that just kind of a one, one-time thing and, and uh, got your fill of it? Uh, you know, it was, it's pretty much one time thing at, at the time I was, I was a bit of a hunting video junkie. <laughs> I probably had 50 hunting DVDs in my, next to my, my TV, you know, and, and for the life of me, you could not buy a doll sheep hunting DVD back then. And I, and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to make one. So I think I filmed for five or six years, something like that, packed 13 extra pounds of gear around the mountains and filmed 11 successful hunts. I think I actually had about... 25 hours of footage I sent off to the editors and there was a few hunts that I was unable to get the kill shots on. So we, we didn't use those hunts, but yeah, it's a hour and a half long and 11 successful hunts. And, and I think, I think it was the first one, the first sheep hunting DVD to hit the market at the time. Now there's several good companies out there putting sheep hunting videos out, but yeah, I actually just got tired of carrying around a 75-pound backpack, so I just did just did the one video. <laughs> <laughs> well, I remember really liking it. Uh, how long have you been uh, up in Alaska, and when did you start guiding? Kind of give me a uh, brief bio of, of your love for Alaska and how all that started. Gosh, I you know, I moved to Alaska in uh, 1995. I was a 21-year-old kid, and... Uh, the only reason I moved up there is because it was the only place you could hunt sheep annually every year without drawing a permit. So I moved up there for that reason. And, uh, geez, I, I got my guide license in 1999. And if I want, I want to say I started guiding in 2001 and I've been doing it ever since I started my own business in 2006 and, and, uh, just love it. It's, it's just, I just love stomping around the mountains for 30, 40 days at a time and, you know, and <laughs> For sure. leaving the traffic and the stoplights behind. For sure. And um, how many doll sheep have you harvested yourself personally? Oh, personally, I've gotten three. Nice. Uh, and, and, and that's it. Yeah. The, the rest of them I've just guided. I don't know how many I've packed off the mountain. Probably, I thought about that actually about a week ago, and I think I'm about 50. 50. Wow. That, now, are those all doll or is that doll stone desert and, and bighorns? Uh, those are all dolls. Yeah. Wow. I've, I've, I've harvested two bighorns personally. And, uh, I think I've probably been in on another four or five bighorn hunts for friends or family, but primarily it's been, my, my experience has been doll sheep in Alaska. What, what are you seeing with, um, well, let's back up. 
for those that don't really know how Alaska works, can you explain the draw system? Because I believe there's a draw system and then there's uh, uh, over-the-counter tags where you can just buy tags. And, and specifically, I'm talking right now about doll sheep. Um, can you explain how that works a little bit? You bet. Yep, absolutely. By a large measure, the most of the state is is on a harvest ticket, which is simply a tag you can buy over the counter. And there are a few limited areas in the state where it's a draw. And those areas, it's either a draw for to produce trophy quality rams, or the areas are so road accessible they limit the hunters, so the the sheep basically don't get over harvested. And uh, you know there are some areas that that annually produce some some giant sheep, no doubt about it. But if you don't draw a permit, it's it's not a game stopper by any means. You can go with an outfitter if you're a non-resident, or if you're a resident, you can just buy a tag over the counter and and charter a bush plane and off you go. So, if you're a resident, you can hunt doll sheep every year, and that that was one of the things that drew you to Alaska, correct? Yep, that's correct. And yep. would you say that because residents can hunt doll sheep, I mean, do the sheep get pounded or is it like anything else that there are areas that get pounded and then there's areas that are untouched? Yeah, it's, it's you know, anymore, 20 years ago, uh, I think there's a, there's a substantial, substantially more hunters now than there was in 95 for sure. And where, where I guide up in the Brooks Range, it's about as remote as you can get in North America. And uh, we we start with the last probably four or five years, we've started to see other resident hunters in the area as well. Whereas before, you could fly in there and, and be in there for 40 days. And, I mean, you'd, you'd hear some bush planes flying over every now and then. But for the most part, you wouldn't see anybody. It was pretty remote. But anymore, I'm... I'm you know, in all the other states I hunt in the lower 48, it's just become blatantly obvious to me that there is uh, not enough real estate and a, a lot of hunters. <laughs> yeah. About the best way to put it. <laughs> it's It kind of seems that way all over now. Um, tell me a little bit about the Brooks Range uh, historically and what's going on with the unit now as far as doll sheep. You know, where I guide, it's in uh, Unit 25 on the south side of the Brooks. And as far as sheep densities go, it, it's probably one of the highest in the state. There, there's quite a few sheep up there versus other mountain ranges that I've hunted in. And, uh, man, it's just been a really great place to hunt sheep. You know, so certain mountain mountain ranges like the Chugach, the, the mountains, I guess, are, like, geologically speaking, they're young. So there, there's a lot of cliffs. It's really mean, rugged country. And you pretty much in places have to hunt like up the drainage bottoms and look at the the walls, the canyon walls, and then like walk back out the drainage, walk up the main river drainage another mile another mile to the next drainage and then hunt the, for basically from the bottom up. But one really nice thing about the brooks is those mountains are, you know, geologically speaking, they're fairly old compared to other mountain ranges in the state. And we li- literally live out of our backpack. We, we put on six, seven, eight, ten days worth of food and single person tents and we climb up on the ridges and and we just take off hunting and and look down in the basins and canyons and and whatnot when it gets dark we just put the tents up and call it a day and (laughs) And so 
the the uh the doll I'm sorry, sheep, go ahead. historically doll sheep um are they all over the valley meaning they're they're up high they're down low they're on the sides or, or are they historically mostly always at the top of the mountain you know it varies in the brooks most of the sheep i harvest are between 42 and 4500 feet and most of the mountain peaks top out about 5,000 to 5,600, somewhere in there. There's there's like a bandwidth in there where the vegetation is still kind of green that time of the year, and most of them are right about that 42, 4,500 foot level. Okay. As far as uh, north sides of the mountains, south sides of the mountains, I, I really don't see where that's a major factor. One thing I have noticed in the brooks anyway is if you're in the mountains and, and, and there's like a really dark colored shale rock the sheep for some reason they move through that kind of country versus if it's whiter looking rock or a lot of tundra below some some escape train which is you know typically cliffs the sheep tend to hang out more in those areas versus the, the black rock type stuff do you think it's a factor because they're white and they feel like they stand out and so they don't want to be caught in the black shale you know, I've never thought about that. I think what it is is the food source that they're they're keyed in on at that time of the year. I mean, there's trails beat thousand year old trails beat down through the shell rock, but and and I do see sheep in them occasionally because I'm on an area that's like my, my main base camp is pretty much right on the divider line. If I go downstream about four miles, all the shell rock is is black, and if I go upstream, most of it is a different color, like a light gray or a whitish almost. <clears throat> And I do see sheep in the black stuff, but they're typically moving through the country, whereas in, in the other kind of colored rock, they're they're hanging out and grazing. It's So I guess that's one good tip if you're a resident listening to this or a non-resident, you know, if you're in the black stuff, you, you might want to move the locations. <laughs> is the Brooks Range uh, for non-residents, is it a unit that, uh, that non-residents can draw? And what is the status of the unit as far as quality of sheep, age class, what's going on with, with the Brooks Range? You know, in uh, 20, the winter of 2012-2013, where I'm at was pretty hard on the sheep population. Matter of fact, I, I typically just take three guys a year. I'm on a, so to speak, a sheep cook, bottle washer all in one. <laughs> and I just guide all the hunts personally myself. I don't hire any guides. And I just typically do three a year, and that year I just had two hunters because one guy ended up canceling on me about a week before season started. And I'm glad he did because when we got up there, when we were flying in, I was looking at some of these drainages that we typically hunt, and they were still full of snow. And I was like, what in the world? So we actually got on the ground and started hunting, and ends up it wasn't snow. It was ice about anywhere between six to eight feet tall. I mean, we were there was a couple drainages that uh, – the running water from the creek had thawed the ice out, so we were actually walking up, you know, the water in the creek because the ice was as tall as we were. And I don't know how much snow it takes to thaw and freeze at night and thaw and freeze and thaw and freeze to make six feet ice, but it, it's got to be a lot. <laughs> so long story short, we learned right away that, that I think in my area, I mean, well over 50% of the sheep had a, you know, severe winter kill situation going on. And and I've never had to work so hard to get two hunters, a couple rams. What I typically do is I like to leave about 
five to six legal rams on the mountain after I'm done hunting for the season for next year's hunters. And, uh, boy, we hunted and hunted and hunted and, and both guys got rams, but they were the only two legal sheep we saw. So, so I've, uh, I've actually haven't even gotten any hunters the last three years. I've just called my guys up and, and told them what was going on and, and, and canceled their hunts and just told them I would, uh, I would I wouldn't feel right taking them on a hunt where I think we're just going to be mainly taking your gun for a walk, you know. <laughs> so you is know, that, is that Patel just Keaton in unit twenty five, or is that for all of the Brooks ranges? Is is that uh, die off? Um, you know, is that die off widespread through the Brooks range? You know, I can't really speak for the whole mountain range because it's it's extremely. I mean, it's like 800 yards, or uh, I'm sorry, 800 miles from one end of the state to the other, and I only hunt a very tiny portion of it, you know. But from from talking to other outfitters, it sounds like it was pretty localized in my area. Yeah. And and there's actually outfitters on the same drainage that have super cubs, and and they've still been taking the same amount of hunters and still having pretty much the same success. But whereas before they were hunt one or two drainages now they're flying 70 miles to drop hunters off in between here and there so there is still some sheep in 25 it's just that you know i fly into a lake and land and we backpack out of there and, and for that little area that i hunt it's boy it was printed pretty hard i noticed there's one mountain i have that uh sitting from base camp you can look up there the spot and scope and there's always been like 69 to 73 ewes. I mean, just every year you can pretty much figure there's going to be 70 ewes on that mountain. And that that 2013 season, there was 19. Wow. So I've got one basin that I'll always find 20 rams in, and there was seven in it that year. So they suffered a pretty substantial winter kill. Right, right where I hunt anyway. Have they started to bounce back at all? You know, I was in there last year, and, uh, you know, it takes a while. Sheep, sheep. It seems to me I've seen some winter kills in the Talkeenas, and it's like uh, from four, probably like the four-year-olds and younger seem to make the winter pretty, pretty well, fairly well anyway. So, you know, if you got a bunch of four-year-old rams, it typically takes four more years for those sheep to be eight, which is a legal ram. So, you know, it's kind of like that uh, Colorado area that we were talking about earlier. With, when the deer died off, you know, it's it takes five to seven years before things start kind of turning around the other way. Yeah. So you probably expect another three, four years and things, if if you don't have any other harsh winters, uh, any ice like that, that it'd probably be back to normal? Yeah, I, I'm thinking so, yep. I was in there last summer and was looking at some sheep before season started, and, and I, I did see some rams. I, I saw some five to six year old sheep. So I, I would say another couple of years and, uh, you know, I might be a little conservative and wait like three to four before I get really serious about it again. Gotcha. Let's talk about, you mentioned legal rams. So in Alaska, you have to have an eight year old ram. That that's one question. And the second question is, um, how old will doll rams get? Not like, well, maybe the oldest that you've heard of, but like, um, so I, I just took a hunter in, in region three and unit 15 D in Arizona. He harvested a 10 year old Ram. Well, there may only be one Ram in, in that region, one other Ram that might be 10 years old or better. And the oldest I've ever heard of is 13. 
um, but it's rare in the state of Arizona to see out of the hundred, let's say hundred deserts that get shot, um, it's pretty rare to see them much over 10 years old. I mean, every year you'll see like a 10, 11, 12 year old sheep, but there'll be one of them. How does that differentiate or how does that differ from doll sheep where, you know, it, it's eight years old to be legal, but is there a ton of, you know, 10, 11, 12 year old rams or no? No, there isn't. It's uh, very similar to Arizona, the, the sheep structure in Alaska is. You know, I had a biologist tell me one time the reason they make an eight-year-old uh, ram legal is because they say once the sheep turns eight year, years old, 85% of them die that winter. So, you know, if you have 100 eight-year-old rams going into the winter, you'll only have 15 the next winter. And then as a nine-year-old, 85% of those die that winter. So, it's really rare to find something over that 10, 11 mark. The, the oldest one I've personally had a hundred harvest was a 12 year old sheep. And I've got a friend that, that shot one in the Brooks range and you know, the rings were stacked up so close. It would be hard to tell what it was if you, without cutting the horn in half and counting them from the inside. But you know, we had it at 16 and that, that thing was just ancient old, but uh, you know, for the most part in Alaska, an eight or nine year old sheep is, is, pretty much what you're going to find. Okay. So if it, it, it comes down to, if you, if you're on a doll sheep hunt and you see a legal ram, I mean, there's very few people that are going to walk away from a legal ram. Is that, is that kind of what you're saying or does it depend on the unit? You know, it, uh, it depends on the unit. If you, if you draw on one of those true gash permits or, or a toe permit, boy, I mean, there, there, there's some trophy quality doll sheep in some of those units, and it really depends on the hunter. You know, if a first-time hunter, or uh, it's, I guess I really can't make that call, but I would highly recommend harvesting the first legal ram you see, especially in my area. The, the sheep I hunt in the Brooks Range aren't well known for, for being giant rams, and I just tell my hunters up front, you know, we're, we're basically looking for illegal sheep. It's, they average about 35, 36 on a full curl sheeps. A lot of the broom sheep are 34 to 35. And they're, you know, they're probably, I'd say, 13 inches on average for the base. So it's not like we're, we're going in the Chugash where some of those eight-year-old sheep have 14-plus inch bases and can be 40-plus inches long. So, you know, my, my hunters typically know up front what we're, what we're dealing with and, uh, you know, I've actually talked to a lot of guys over the phone and, and told them what, you know, what to expect. And, and they were wanting something larger. And I just re recommended them to other outfitters that primarily concentrate on some of those trophy quality draw areas where, you know, where they, they actually have those type of sheep living in that unit. But the worst thing I can think of ever happening for me anyway, is having a hunter show up and, and be disappointed in the hunt. Cause <laughs> my goal is to send them home with a, you know, a giant smile. <laughs> For sure. For sure. Let's take a quick break yep. here. GoHunt.com Insider is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. GoHunt.com Insider are the industry leaders and number one source for Western hunting for a lot of reasons. GoHunt.com Insider have changed the game for how hunts and hunting information are found. Within a matter of minutes, using Filtering 2.0, you'll be able to filter by state, species, residency, odds of drawing a tag, specific hunting dates, 
and harvest success percentages to find the hunts that fit exactly what you're looking for. If you are a guy that applies across the West or just in your home state but want to find some new opportunity, there's no better way to do it than using GoHunt.com Insider. As an exclusive offer to my listeners, if you sign up for a GoHunt.com Insider membership for $149 a year and use the promo code JSCOTT, at checkout, you'll receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Head on over to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and get yourself the most valuable membership a hunter could have. Real game calls featuring the elk reel. Real Game Calls makes innovative, realistic, and easy-to-master calls using their proprietary, revolutionary design. They are located and manufactured in Gypsum, Colorado. Their calls were designed and battle-tested on some of the hardest-hunted terrain on Earth. Check out ElkReel.com. Use the promo code JSCOTT and receive a 20% discount on all purchases. Go to www.ElkReel.com. Okay, Rick, uh, I want to ask you about these. Uh, you, you had mentioned the Chugach, you mentioned the Toke. Uh, give me, in your opinion, say the top three uh, trophy units in Alaska and, and maybe compare and con- contrast those three. Okay. So uh, historically, a lot of the largest rams ever killed in Alaska have come out of the, the Chugach range. And you know, I personally hunted the southwest unit. Let me look here for a second and look at my notes. I was up in Creek one year on a late October archery-only hunt. I can't remember, probably 15 years ago now. And, boy, there were some giant sheep in there. So, to be honest with you, any of those Chugach units, there's just a potential for a giant sheep in any one of those units. I think... The heavy hitters are like Eagle River. Is always a, there's always a safe bet of, of having a, a big sheep in Eagle River. And same for the Southwest unit, which encompasses Indian Creek. And then that Toke unit is also really good. The, the horn configurations versus the Chugash and the Toke unit, which is in the Alaska range, are a little different. Those sheep up in the Tokes seem to be, what I've noticed is they kind of, uh, they flare out more like so. I mean, when it went in. A sheep's looking at you, their, their horns kind of, I guess, flare out. The tips flare out. Whereas those those Chugat sheep, I mean, I've seen eight-year-old sheep where they the horn drops way below the jaw and they come up and they're three-quarter curl and, and uh, they'd have to live to 15 years old to ever make a full curl. But they're they're 14 plus on the bases and they keep their mass really well all the way down and around and, and they're just big, heavy hitters, you know. So if, if you could draw... Any tag right now in Alaska, which one would it be? <laughs> uh, any one of those, any one of those units I just mentioned, I would, I would jump on any one of those in a heartbeat. Okay, and then are all of those units in, uh, draw only, or can you also buy tags in those units? Those units are draw only. You know, if you're a resident, I would highly recommend you to 123, which is uh, residents only. And it's a Chugach permit, but the, the previous units I mentioned, residents and non-residents can both apply for those units. Okay. 
And for the yeah. listeners out there, if, if you're a non-resident hunting in Alaska, you have to have a guide no matter what. Correct. Yep. You have to have an outfitter. Uh, a, a registered guide is considered an outfitter in Alaska for doll <clears throat> sheep, mountain goats, and brown bears. And all the other species you can hunt without an outfitter. Okay. Okay, yep. that's good stuff. Um, what is it about doll sheep? Um, you know, you hunt pretty much everything there is, and you love doll sheep. What is it about it, about them that, that you love? <laughs> Where they live. Plain and simple, I love the mountains. Yeah. So and and the, the sheep are just the, the, unique the, animals. So you, you like, sorry, go ahead. You like the drainages, you like the mountains where they live. You like everything about the animal and, and just that whole country and such. I do. Yep. It's really rewarding. It's a lot of hard work and when it all comes together and pays off, it's just really, really rewarding. And, you know, some of the views are amazing and, and, uh, you know, plain simple, it's, it's something some people are just unable to do. So. I mean, it, it's just a really unique experience, and I just plain simple love the mountains more than anything. I mean, I've had a buddy ask me that question years ago, and I told him, well, you know, if, if whitetails lived in the mountains, I'd be after whitetails all the time instead of doll sheep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and yep. I've heard the meat is incredible as well. It is. It's second to none. It's, yeah, it's, I don't even know how to explain it. It's, I've had, uh, ancient old 11, 12 year old rams. We get them back to camp and we cut the back straps up and, and throw them over the fire that night. And you can cut them with a fork. They're just like, I mean, they're just like a, <laughs> a young, a young sheep. You know, I, I guess I could liken it to the elk. I've, I've ate some pretty old elk and they were almost like chewing on tire rubber and you, you shoot a two year old cow and you can almost cut it with a fork, you know, and that's how dull sheep just are. I've never had a tough, chewy dull sheep steak and and the flavor is just delicious that's awesome i look forward to getting my dull sheep one of these days uh <laughs> i want to ask you so you're not guiding in your area because of the winter kill and you're still letting it kind of bounce back um but you have kind of transitioned and correct me if i'm wrong but you've kind of transitioned into doing uh float uh, trips for grizzly caribou combo is that correct tell me about that yep yep that's correct yeah yeah where where i conduct those hunts it's probably almost 300 miles to the west of where i guide my doll sheep i'm still in the brooks range but i'm on the north side of the range and we fly into this indian village out of uh, fairbanks and then from there we take a, a bush plane and it's about a two and a half hour flight to get to the drop point and then we float it depends on on the hunters what they what they want to do and what their their experience has been with float hunts but i've got on, on the same river we can we can float anywhere the the first hunt is like 40 miles and where we can get, get picked up with a plane and if they want to want uh, like a longer hunt not not a longer hunt i'm sorry a longer float on the hunt because all the hunts are 10-day hunts but we can float up to about 88 miles total and uh you know, I've I've taken some guys where they wanted they were ambitious and wanted to get out and hike a lot, and and that type of hunt I would recommend the one where we're just floating 40 miles because that that leaves us more time to have the tent set up, 
and get up on a high spot and just glass and, and do some hunting. Whereas on the 88 miles, you pretty much have to float 10 miles a day to make that, that thing happen in 10 days. So, you know, you're breaking camp down, setting it up every day, and you're pretty much, I kind of consider it road hunting out of the raft. You're just hoping the grizzly or the caribou is on the bank and you come floating by and it's the one you want and type thing. And both of them have been uh, extremely successful. I've I've been running really good success rates on those hunts, and it just really depends on what the hunter wants to do and how they want to hunt. What kind of caribou are we talking about here? You know, the first year we were up there, uh, I think we, I don't know how many we saw, I, tens of thousands. They were everywhere. We flew in there right before one of the, I think it was like the second major snowstorm of the years. And, and the first one happened about a week before that and got the caribou moving. And we were floating on a river where they mainly migrate up. So it was, it was something like you'd see on National Geographic. And, and I think we probably saw, I would say we saw half a dozen bulls that would easily make the record books that year. One of my hunters harvested one, and uh, the other gentleman harvested a really good bull. And after he harvested his, we started seeing some other bulls that were bigger. And he was like, "Man, I got to come back because <laughs> there's there's some big caribou around." <laughs> and then uh, you know, but I tell you what, that hunt was extremely cold. Towards the end of it, we were floating in the river with slush, and and we had numb fingers and numb toes the whole time. So I've I've bumped those hunts up further into the beginning part of August and the caribou aren't migrating then. And, uh, we still see a lot of caribou, but we don't see anything like the, you know, the, I mean that, that one hunt, it was 40 to 60 caribou coming by every half an hour for, for 10 days straight. <laughs> wow. And so what amazing. would the, yeah. you'd be floating down the river? Um, oh, for the last four or five years, I, I got my own raft, fly fishing raft, 13 foot star inflatable. It's got a you know frame and the whole thing. Are are you talking a full frame raft like where you're back rowing and stuff, or are you paddling? Is it is it as a paddle set? Uh, it's it's the uh, full frame raft. Yep. So you're you're I'm, I'm the sitting guy in, the, the oars. in the middle on the oars and you're rowing down the river. And then if you were to see a grizzly or see a caribou that you want to go after, you just you pull in below them, I assume, and then stock back up, or how does it work? Yep. Or do you, you, know, you shoot right out of the boat? I don't know how it works. No, no, we don't shoot out of the boat. We typically get over on the bank and, and get a good solid rest. And uh, that's only happened once. Actually, the other times that we've been doing that hunt, we'll see the animals, you know, a couple hundred yards off the river and uh, or, or miles away, to be honest with you, because... It's so flat up there. It's just flat, and you can see miles and miles and miles. So whenever we get to a really steep cut bank where we got a little bit of elevation, we'll put the raft over, tie it up to a chunk of willows or whatever, and climb up on the bank where we have a little bit of elevation and get the Swarovski 15s out on a tripod. And and those things are amazing. And you know, we've most of the bears we've spotted have been two or three miles downstream, either on a caribou kill or or just eating berries. And, and then we'll get back in the raft and float down where we can get closer to them and get out probably about a half mile, mile away and, and get the wind right and try to keep as much topography or, or uh, willows in between us and the bear and get as close as we can. And, and uh, heck, it's worked out really well. Everyone's went home with the bear, and, and I can't complain one bit. Now, these are grizzly bears, right? So they're interior grizzlies? They're interior grizzlies, yeah. So they are substantially smaller than their their Kodiak brothers or cousins, so to speak. And 
and uh, you know, give you an idea. Uh, last year when we did that hunt, both my hunters killed what I would consider really large boar grizzlies, and one of them was seven foot, squared seven foot. The other one squared seven six, and uh, one of them made the books, and one of them was a half inch short of the books. And they were, I think the biologist told us they were 12 and 14 years old. So they were, they were old bears, no doubt about it. And we, you know, a couple of years ago, we shot a sow, shot a lone sow. She was 16 years old and she squared six feet, six inches. Wow. You know, in Kodiak, you know, a sow would probably be more like eight and a half feet that old. Wow. So, yeah, are, so. Are, there, are there times when you're floating down in the raft and you're floating and let's just say it's can you, are there times when you're like glassing right out of the raft and you can see like half mile out in front of you and, and you're just glassing the whole way? You're obviously rowing, but are they glassing quite a bit, the, the hunters? Yep. Yep, absolutely. That's exactly what we're doing. We're, we're either glassing or, or they're fishing for grayling and I'm rowing the raft. <laughs> are they spinner? Now you're talking my language. So there's, are they spinner fishing for grayling or are they fly fishing or what are they doing? Or you know, either or, uh, mo- they want. yeah, most actually in the past, I've, I haven't had many fly fishermen. So they've, we just bought some, some odd or double odd maps and, and little spinning rod and, and have had pretty good success that way. But I tell you what, sometimes those mosquitoes hatch off and I think, it, you know, the, the fish are popping on the surface. So if you had a fly rod and, and some midge patterns or some, some mosquito patterns or anything small like that, black mat. Griffith's, Griffith's snat or anything like, like that, I think you could <laughs> do really well, but we've actually never even tried it. Really? And so your success rate on this combo hunt, um, so on a 10-day hunt, I mean, it's pretty common that your hunters are going to, you take two at a time, is that right? And and they both get a caribou and they both get a bear, is that right? Yep, yep, that's the way it's happened in the past, yeah. Everyone's went home happy and, and successful. And I typically do it as a combo just because it's so remote and the, the bush plane costs are so extensive that I have to take two people at a time just to make the thing pay for itself. And, and when you're saying you're doing the 40-mile floats, you can do an 88-mile, but you do a 10-day 40-some-mile float, um, are, you, are some camp spots uh, like two nights or is it is are you moving every night on that uh hunt as well you know on the on the 40 mile float it's typically well i've got a couple spots where we set the can up camp up and we leave it up for multiple days okay. and then we'll float down another another stretch of the river and, and hunt up hunt multiple days and then the last day we typically just get to the takeout spot whereas that 88 mile float i mean it's you know some places like up high, the river's moving pretty good, and you can do you can float ten miles in a day pretty easy. Whereas down low, it's it's really slow, and it's pretty much all day to float ten miles. So, on that eighty-eight mile float, it's you know we 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 get up at daylight or before daylight and get breakfast and everything going, and and then we're we're hunting, you know, and then we tear camp down, and then we float most of the day, and then we set camp back up, and then we get an evening hunt. And but the thing about that eighty-eight mile float is you know, you're, you're pretty much hunting out of the boat and you're moving all day, 10 days straight. Yeah, Whereas the, yeah. the shorter float, you actually have some days in camp or you're, you're just sitting there glassing and, 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 or, you know, hiking in a camp, the high spots and glassing. 
the shorter float actually sounds a little bit more enjoyable. The 88, I mean, I know how, you know, floating 10 miles a day for 10 days straight, you know, or that's a lot of river miles. Um, I, so I know what you're going through as an oarsman. That's, that's, that's a lot of water to navigate. Um, let's talk a little bit about gear. Um, it, it gives you a good chance to really test out and use some gear on these float trips. Um, what are you finding as far as rain gear? Do you like the best? Um, what kind of tents are you liking? Uh, what kind of boots are you running? Are you guys in waders or what, how are you doing this? Yeah. So for the footwear, it's, it's typically hip boots. And even when we're not on the river, the tundra is really wet. So I, I tell everybody to bring, uh, you know, a, a quality pair of hiking boots that are broken that have Gore-Tex in them. I, I do not recommend anything without Gore-Tex because even when we're on the tundra and we're not in hike and not in hip and hip boots and we're in hiking boots, you know, you're still going to be sometimes in water that's two, three inches deep up around your ankle. So you definitely want a Gore-Tex leather hiking boot. As far as tents go, boy, I mean, when it comes to the gear world, it, it's almost like computers. I mean, the next, the next best thing is two months away, you know, <laughs> and there's, there's so, so much high quality gear on the market now compared to 20 years ago. It's, it's almost mind boggling to me, but I really liked that QU line of, 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 uh, of gear, especially the clothing. There really isn't a bad piece of QU gear. I've kind of learned that the hard way over the years and QU and Sika both are really, really good. And, uh, prior to those companies coming out, I was actually using a lot of the North Face Mountain Hardware Arcteryx type of gear because it was tailored to mountain climbers and it was good, solid, qual- high-quality gear, right? So I, I very rarely even had camel on when I was guiding sheep hunters up until probably four or five years ago. And now I've got either, you know, I kind of started out with Sitka, now I've gone to uh, the Kuyu line and, and either or is really good. I can't, I don't have any complaints about them at all. What rain gear have you found to work the best for you for those trips? You know, uh, the, the QU Chugach is, is really good rain gear. The thing about me is I'm I'm pretty hard on equipment, and I'm in the field probably more than the average person. And I'm, I've just learned that I go, I guess I have a tendency to, to rip rain gear and poke holes in it. So... Uh, what I guess what I do is I just go out and buy either the Grundens line or the Hilly Hansen line of rain gear, the rubberized stuff. And, and at the end of the season, it's got holes in it and it's ripped in places and I just throw it away and buy new stuff the next season. And I have in the past bought that the high tech rain gear, you know, and you spend a couple hundred bucks on it. And at the end of the season, it's still got holes and, and rips in it. So that's personally what I do. But, you know, I've, uh, I've got several other friends that, that, rave about the QU Chugat stuff and they've been using it for years and it hasn't, they don't have holes in it, doesn't leak through for them. They really like it. Good stuff. Um, and then are you packing, yeah. uh, you know, like full stoves or are you kind of going as light as you can with like backpacking stoves and all the, all the pretty lightweight backpacking equipment? Yeah, I've, I use the MSR Whisper Light. You know, I've used the jet boils and stuff and, and I, when the when the jet boils first hit the market, I bought one and I I took it on a, a doll sheep hunt. We were hunting on the glaciers, and I learned right away when you put that 
canister fuel on, on ice to cook off of it, you get you get a little half inch flame instead of a two inch flame because it it gets cold and condenses. I think those companies have come a long ways since then, and I think they've got their fuel mixtures changed a little bit. Where I've I've heard anyway that you can get a decent flame out of those type of stoves in in cold weather. But well, I tell you that MSR Whisper Light I've had I've had several of those stoves for the last 20 plus years and they just they're like the energizer bunny they just keep on going <laughs> so i i typically take pretty i mean it's pretty lightweight gear just because we're flying out in bush planes and we're bringing back caribou meat and antlers and capes and bear hides and skulls so it's it's uh not like we've got you know, like the waist-high cots, we've got cots, but they're, they sit six inches off the ground. They're all aluminum because they're lightweight type stuff. So we fly out on two bush planes, and we've got to fly back on two bush planes. So we've got to, when we go out there, we've, I've just weigh everything out, and we pretty much have, you know, we've got about 400 extra pounds on, on the planes so we can have that much more weight coming back. Even though you do eat 10 days worth of food, you know, you get two caribou and a couple grizzlies, and it adds up pretty quick. And then if you're overweight, you either have to pay a lot of money to get a third bush plane back, or, you know, sometimes what I've done is I've just burned gear because it's it's more cost-effective to buy new gear than it is to get another bush plane out there. Yeah, for sure. I, I, I imagine by the time you've got two caribou and, and two grizzlies, capes and meat and the whole nine yards, uh, uh, you've got a heavy boat by the time you get to the get to the end. Yep. Oh yeah, it's thousand twelve hundred pounds because I've I've weighed everything. I've actually got a scale that uh, like outfitters and the Bob Marsh use for packing horses, and they'll they'll weigh their panniers so they know exactly what a pannier weighs for each side of the horse. And I br- I bring a scale like that with me, so I weigh every ounce out, and that way I know we're exactly at a thousand pounds per plane. We're not guessing. Because those bush planes, I mean, there's there's <laughs> been lots of guys load them heavy and and fall out of the air because of it. So I make being sure I know what the weights of the planes are, payloads anyway. I want to ask you about floating down the river as far as grizzlies and have you had them come? I saw a video oh a year or two ago where they were floating down the river and a bear comes charging out of the brush basically at the boat have you ever had any kind of encounters like that that are that are uh, <laughs> kind of hairy you know uh i bet i saw the same video was there a couple cubs on the bank yeah and i think he and in the they were paddling they weren't in a row structure frame boat they were they were paddling and i want to say he oh, just pulled okay. out his pistol and was shooting to the side i don't think he was actually shooting at the bear i think he was shooting by the bear to scare it but it like charged out in the water yeah, yep. I've, I think I've seen that same video, video. You know, as far as the float hunts go, no, I haven't had any any encounters like that. I've I've, you know, been in the Chugach and Alaska Range hunting sheep, where you're you're bushwhacking through the alders and you can't see very far, and all of a sudden there's a bear standing up on its hind legs, you know, like 40 feet away from you, popping its jaws. And I've had them charge me and kind of hop around on the ground and woof at me a little bit. I've never had a full-on charge where anybody's gotten attacked, but uh, 
you know, one thing I've noticed about the bears in, in the Bricks Range is they are a lot more aggressive than, than the coastal bears that are eating salmon. And I, I don't know why. I think it's probably because they, they were born hungry and they die hungry, but <laughs> they're definitely more aggressive. <laughs> how, how many days would you say you spend a year, and maybe it's changed since you're not doing the, the, the doll sheep right now because of the, the winter kill, but how many days would you say you spend, you know, quote unquote out there in in the bush sure boy when i first started guiding i would go in we would trail horses into the to this one camp for an outfit i was working for and i want to say we would go in about august 1st 2nd 3rd somewhere in there sheep season always opens on the 10th so we would always be in there about five or seven days before season started and then i would come out after moose season closed which is usually september 20th and i'd come out you know 21st, second, third, somewhere in there. So I don't know off the top of my head, but it's usually the whole month of August and half of September. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty safe guess. <laughs> yeah. And you did that for like 20 years, didn't you? Yeah, pretty much. Yep. That's pretty neat. That's pretty Lots of fun. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> what else do you do um, for a living? Uh, is is this your only source of income or do you do something else no i actually work in the oil field in northern alaska and i I work three weeks on and then i have three weeks off so uh that's probably the main reason i was able to you know take so much time off of work at this i've worked for a couple companies up there but uh i'm just fortunate that i i was able to get the time off and have people cover for my shift and i mean like that one year uh you were talking about the elk tag I drew in Arizona there. That year, I actually drew Arizona and a Utah elk tag, and I guided, I think, when I started guiding, I, it was pretty much like August, September. And long story short, I, the way my, my work rotation panned out, I, I left work like July 23rd, and I had three weeks off. And then I took a couple hitches off for guiding and elk hunting, and I, I literally came back to work just before Christmas. And the guys at work were joking with me and they're like, Hey, who's the new guy? <laughs> I've been gone hunting so long. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Let's take a quick break here. Yeah. Phonescope is a company that makes custom molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. It is simple to text photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. Get yours now by using the JScott16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope, that's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram at PhoneScope. I have known the owners of the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix for over 20 years. They are the authority on optics and hunting gear. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods, mounting accessories, and pack systems for all hunters. Their customer service is the best in the business. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any products. Okay, Rick. Um, and then you also spend some time in Montana. I assume that's kind of during the winter months. Uh, you spend some time in Montana. Where Where do you reside in Montana when you're 
when you're not in Alaska? Uh, there's a little town in the southwest part of the state that I grew up in, and uh, you know, my my basically my whole family still lives there, so I fly back and visit them quite a bit. The the folks are are getting up in age, so to speak, and I'm I'm just trying to spend as much time with them as I can while I still have them. Yeah, good for you. That's fantastic. Yep. What what is the hunting like in Montana um, that you've done uh, lately? How how has that gone? You know, it's uh. It's good. Uh, between my brothers and I and my dad, we've got about a half a dozen horses and and uh, grew up with horses my whole life. And, and we pack them into the wilderness areas and, and can get away from probably 80% of the, the hunting crowd by doing that. You know, if you can, you dang sure get away from all the foot hunters. We get, we get back in there about 10 or 12 miles and set a wall tent up and, and just kind of hunt out of that. And you, you still do see horse hunters way back in there, but... You know, my brother, some of, sometimes they can't get time off of work and they're kind of restricted to the road system and, and, uh, boy, they, it's anymore. When we were kids growing up, you'd, you'd go up, up the road with a spun scope hanging out the window on a window mount and you'd, there's only one or two people doing it. And nowadays you go do it and there's like 30, 30 people doing it. So they, <laughs> yeah. they really don't like it when they can't get time off of work and come into the wilderness with us. Cause they're, there's just hunters everywhere. It seems like, but we're hunting general units. You know, if you get in, get lucky and draw a permit, you can, you can get into some pretty good hunting still. Cause it's, you know, just 50 hunters on a unit versus hundreds. Yeah. Have you noticed, you know, living there your whole life, you know, growing up there as a kid and what have you and hunting there. Have you noticed that still some of the areas that are, you know, way back in, are they just as good as they ever were or are they better or worse or how, how do they rate? You know, I think they're just as good. You know, I've, uh, I always heard people say, oh, the good old days and, you know, back then and, you know, in the forties or fifties or whatever. And I don't know, I don't, I don't really buy that. I think the good old days are right now because, I've got some friends that every year, I mean, they kill big bulls with their bow and arrow and bow and arrows on general units and, and even their rifles. And, you know, if a lot of it is, is out hunting the hunters and having the right optics and, and the right mindset and getting in there and, and getting after it and making it happen. And boy, it's uh, there can, there's still some good hunting around. I mean, there is a lot more hunting pressure, I think than now than there was when I was a kid for sure. And of course, the gear and the optics have have uh, just come a long way since since way back then. But no, I think there's still some good hunting to be had. And when it comes right down to at the end of the day, I I mean it's all about having fun for me. So I mean if I can if I can get a good bull versus a, a giant bull, if I'm hanging out with my family and having fun, that's all that matters. Good for you. That's awesome. Uh, where do you stand? Um, you said you've killed two bighorns. You've killed three doll sheep. Uh, have you killed a desert and and what states do you do you apply for all the states for desert sheep or where are you at um chasing a grand slam i apply for every state there's 13 states you can apply for sheep for even north dakota believe it or not i I typically do that every year i think i've got 17 or 18 points in arizona nevada for desert sheep I, don't, I actually don't apply for desert sheep in California just because the the draw odds are so so horrible and and you, you first have to buy that non-resident hunting license. But yeah, I typically apply for uh, every sheep tag I can and every I buy a raffle ticket for every raffle ticket I can or raffle raffle I can. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, sure. Good for you. Good for you. Yep. Um, what about uh, Craven someday to 
go stone sheep i am yeah i am i i've thought about that and and those prices are where they're getting over the top i think it's crazy isn't it i mean it it is yeah it's it's really crazy uh it's something that i dream about and it's just so expensive it's just hard to swallow you know it is yep you know i i had a hunter one time and he had all the money in the world and i asked him i said well when are you gonna go stone sheep hunting because he hunted with me a couple times for dolls and and at the time my doll sheep prices were about a quarter of what the stone sheep prices were and and he goes well all the doll all the stone sheep is is a dark doll right i go oh pretty much i mean they're kind of i've heard they're their own species but you know for the most part they're thin horned sheep and yeah they're there's a dark doll essentially he goes well, the, the hunt costs are four times as much. He says, are you telling me I'm going to have four times much more fun <laughs> hunting stone sheep and doll sheep? <laughs> I said, well, I don't know about that. So, I, I mean, he pretty much told me he wasn't going to go stone sheep hunting because of the, the costs. But, yeah, I, I I would love to go someday. Yeah. If I could get in on a good cancellation hunt or buy a raffle, I'd be all over it. For sure. Is there any other animals out there that uh... – that you haven't hunted that's kind of your eyeballing or that you're really looking forward to drawing? Hmm. Well, I, mainly that desert. I've been building points and crunching numbers and looking at draw units and, and uh, yeah, I'd, I'd love to go desert sheep hunting one day. <laughs> yeah. It's... Used to be I'd apply for the best units with the hardest draw odds, but nowadays I'm look I'm kind of balancing them both out and, in some states, I kind of go for the quality units, whereas other states, I would just love to go on a hunt where it, just a chance at like a 155, 160 type ram, I'd I'd be static. Yeah, and I mean, honestly, I'm kind of the same way. The older I get, the more it's like I kind of need to let go of, you know, trying to shoot some giant ram, although it'd be incredible. I got to start looking at, you know, you know, how many more years of, you know, do I have 20? Do I have 25? Do I have 30? I mean, how many years do I have where if I actually drew a tag, could I actually go? And then it becomes, you start looking, going, man, I need to be picking some of these maybe mid-tier units just to, just to give myself the best odds I can and kind of be in the game on the deal. That's my mindset exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way. I'm like, hmm. 42 now and and uh <laughs> yeah who knows yeah, yeah i might be 70 by the time i draw one and it's, i'd you know i'd much rather be 50 than than 70 just because i i'm i'm thinking it'll be a little easier to get around the mountains yeah that's that's where i'm at too myself um for yep. sure well well it's been awesome having you <laughs> on um is there anything for people that haven't applied for alaska um, any advice that you would give them? I think they doubled the tag fees this year um, for, for once you actually drew. Um, I'm not 100% sure about that. Uh, but is there any just random advice you'd give, give someone wanting to apply for Alaska or, you know, buy a hunt and come and hunt in Alaska? You bet. Uh, the number one thing for a non-resident applying for a doll sheep hunt is uh, – you have to sign a contract with the outfitter before you apply for the area. So basically if you draw, you're, you're going to be going with that outfitter. So do your homework, 
talk to some outfitters. There's some great guys out there. And uh, call the references and, and ask for even references that were unsuccessful. And basically pick the outfitter that pretty much matches you and your personality the best. Because it comes right down to the end of the day. If you're into it four days and you're exhausted and your legs are rubber and, and your lungs are burning, you want to be with somebody that you kind of get along with and you enjoy their company with. Even, you know, I mean, because you can, you can go to one of those draw units and be hunting the same unit with multiple different outfitters. So call references would be the main thing and, and make sure you have a contract signed before you apply for a doll sheet permit. That's great advice. Um, and then to come hunt with you on a grizzly caribou combo, are those draw or can, can someone contact you and just uh, make arrangements and, and you know, you take care of all of that right over the counter? Yep. That's all over the counter stuff. Yep. AlaskaAlpineOutfitters.com and and send me an email, give me a phone call. It's all good. That's awesome. Well, it's Rick, it's been great having you on the podcast. Um, I just uh, truly have always enjoyed talking to you when we've uh, been able to, to chat and um, your uh, uh, wealth of knowledge and appreciate you sharing the time here with uh, me and the listeners and, um, Wish you the best in, in the draws coming up. Uh, we're, we're, we're about at draw season right now coming up here uh, in most states coming up this spring. So wish you the best of success yeah. on that. And uh, yeah, um, AlaskaAlpineOutfitters.com. You got a great website and uh, it's just always great talking to you. So I appreciate you spending time with us. You bet. Thanks, Jay. Thanks for having me on. All right, buddy. You take care, okay? God bless. You too. Yep. Bye. All right. Bye.